Thanks for listening to Pep Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, there's one way you can really help us out, and that's by going to your podcast provider, whether that's the iTunes Store or Google Play or Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts from, and uh, rating the show. And if your podcast provider gives you the opportunity, also leaving a, a brief review, because that helps other people find Pep Talk and get plugged into all the great resources that we have here for you. Thank you so much. Welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism uh, podcast. I'm uh, Andy Bannister from uh, the Solas Centre for Public Christianity. And uh, my usual co-host, my partner in crime, uh, Christy Mayer, familiar to many of you who listen to the show regularly, sadly isn't uh, with us uh, today, uh, can't join us. But we have as a replacement my colleague, Gavin Matthews. Hi, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, Andy? Pretty good. I was expecting a squeaky voice and you pretending to be Christy. I'm glad you didn't. You didn't, you didn't try that one. Well, um, Gavin, we've got a great guest uh, on the show today, uh, joining us uh, all the way uh, from almost the other end of Scotland, up in Inverness. Uh, we have Alistair McLeod. Alistair, welcome to Pep Talk. It's great to be with you. Well, Alistair, you and I go back quite a way. So I think it was 2000, the year 2000 we met. Is that right from memory? That's, that's right, yeah. London Bible College. That's it. London Bible College, way down in the south, London School of Theology. It is now both doing the the BA uh, in evangelism. Here we are, twenty years later, at the at the other end of the country. And I guess that leads Alistair to perhaps my opening question. Really, you've got now twenty years of experience being a, a minister, a pastor uh, in different churches, both down in the south and now uh, up at Caldwell Christian Centre up there in in Inverness. So, a couple of questions to kick off with. Really, have you? Did you always imagine you'd be? a pastor was that always something you thought you'd do and then the context down south and up north are things largely the same are people the same everywhere or as you've particularly thought about evangelism and taking the message out of the church and to people who don't know jesus have you had to kind of rethink the way you do things as you've moved from one end of the country to the other yeah well i, I came from uh, inverness originally and i'm back in inverness at the age of 45 but i spend most of my time down in the southeast of england in essex and in, in Watford. But when I was called to my first church, just at the end of our time at London School of Theology, uh, the the job title was uh, a pastoral evangelist. And I thought, well, I think I've got pastoral skills, but I'm not sure I'm an evangelist. And when, when they sort of explained in the interview what the job was all about, about evangelism, I said, well, I don't think I'm an evangelist. And they said, we think you are. We've looked at, you, at what you've done in the past, and you've, you've done a lot of reaching out to people. I says, but I'm not, I'm not like J. John, or I'm not like Billy Graham, or any of these people. I just love people, and I, I talk to them, and I get on well with them. And so anyway, I was called to that church, and I said to the church at the beginning, I've got my L plates on. We're going to have to do this together. And you know, the, it was Ephesians four, which is to equip the saints for work of ministry. And the way we do that is we, we, we learn by, by doing it together and we make our mistakes and we, we go as we go along. But um, also that the church prays and pray for me that, that when my mouth is opened, I would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. But over that time, we just saw so many people coming to faith. And uh, there's one guy who basically came in off the street and he, he, he knocked on my door and he was actually 
big guy, you know, quite you know physical guy, and and someone was wondering, you know, maybe they need to stay behind in case in case anything happens here. And he just sat down and he said, "Who's Jesus?" And and I started to explain to him, you know, the, the gospel. And he says, I, "I I know this, I know this." And I said, "Well, have you ever been to church?" "No, I've never been to church." "What happened?" He said, "I was on an Alcoholics Anonymous course, and basically, step four, I confessed all the people that I'd hurt. I confessed to the higher power, and I asked God to forgive me. And and this this." Power just came upon me and threw me to the floor, and I started calling out the name Jesus. And he went back to the AA meeting, and he said, um, who, "Who's this Jesus?" And they said, "Well, you better go to the Happy Clappies down the road. They'll explain." And then so he came came to our church. He knocked on the door, and he said, "Who's Jesus?" And this guy is still following the Lord. He's now got an amazing ministry with uh, helping. Um, addicts and he's, he shares Jesus with people as well and that was just one of the examples of how just loving someone and, and walking with them and he's, he's still someone that I'm walking with now um, almost 20 years later still a close friend mm-hmm. but up in Inverness it's, it's a bit different you know in Inverness there's, there's uh, still a this idea of hearers there are people who come to church to hear and to check out the gospel. People that are not, not necessarily from a, a church background, but they're still coming along and they're listening. And so every week we've probably got about 10% of the congregation would be you know, people that are not committed. So preaching the gospel, preaching Christ and salvation in, in, in a Sunday service, but at the same time trying to equip people for reaching their friends and colleagues during the week. That's really inspiring. I know that you're now responsible for running a, you know, a good-sized church in, in the Highlands there with a huge amount going on. I, I never envy the role of pastors because you, you seem to be constantly juggling pastoral work, administrative work, teaching. How do you keep evangelism on the church's agenda when you've got so much to juggle all at once? I know some churches where it's sort of fallen off. How do you keep all those things in balance and make sure that these things are all happening and that some things don't get forgotten? Well, you're absolutely right. It, it's 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 very possible for that to happen, and I think uh, we're in lockdown at the moment, and there's there's particular uh, pressures in in lockdown that weren't there before. But but what I try to do is have one evening a week, which I'll set aside to to meet with non-Christians and seekers, and and that might be running a, an alpha course or some kind of course like that. Or it might just be having having meetings. I mean, during lockdown, we said Tuesday and Wednesday evening, if you want to talk about the Christian faith, then we'll do a Zoom call with you. And we just said, you know, we're just going to make time for that. And just with any kind of time management, you put in your priorities and other things have to go. You know, I've been doing that throughout my ministry. And I think it starts from, you know, in my first church, I was responsible for encouraging the church in evangelism. And then when I became, you know, sole pastor, then I just continued to make that my priority. And by 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 modeling it, then people, you know, see that that is, that, that is, the, that is the vision of the church because the church leader is actually making personal time for that. I also play tennis one badly, but I play once a week with uh, with some friends, 
And, uh, you know, so, so I'm, I'm sort of trying to keep friendships up with, with non-Christians. It's slightly easier in the north of Scotland because I'm, I'm kind of back in my hometown. So I'm actually meeting with, with my school friends to play with them on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. We've still got the old teenage rivalry, even though we're, we're just turned 50. But it's, you know, they talk about the church. They talk about, you know, Jesus. It's, it's part of our conversation but not the whole conversation, obviously. And has there ever been pushback from the church saying, well, actually, you should be here visiting us and just serving us. You're setting aside all this time for people outside the church. Has has that ever been difficult for you, making those priorities for the lost? Never, never. I mean, I've always been part part of churches where, actually, I would say that my own eldership in the current church, I would say evangelism is the word that gets them excited. Mm. So if it's ever like evangelism, there's never... There's never a debate on budget. You know, this is what we're here for. And and the, the church, that I mean, at the moment, they, they actually built a community centre and, and they built it deliberately so that it would be filled with non-Christians and that the church meets in that Christian centre. And so it's it's almost like a, a sort of inside-out type of strategy. And, and, you know, we've got... You know, there are particular challenges with that model of church as well. You know, but but the, the, the fact is that the eldership from the very founding of the church, you know, this is this is why the church is here, is to reach the lost, to reach to reach people who don't come to church. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's why people find it easy to, to attend on a Sunday because it's it's a coffee shop, it's a, it's a place where many of them would maybe spend time during the week. At least to a kind of follow-up question, one of the things I've always been quite struck by um, when I've been up and, you know, done some things with you at Carl Doth and watch what the church is doing there in the community is I, I've always thought Carl Doth seems to have quite porous borders. You have non-Christians around. Um, you know, the church is not just full of Christians. It's full of people in various stages of their faith journey, which I always, always, I've always found hugely encouraging. How have you gone about that? How does, as a, as a pastor, do you help build a church where, there are, you know, people free to come. People feel it's their church, even if they're not yet ready to commit to, to following Jesus. Because obviously, if you don't have those people, it's then very hard when you do Alpha to have anyone in Alpha. I always think the first step is creating a church community where there are non-Christians around. So so how have you how have you done it? What have you learned uh, some ways to go about that? Well, I think it's, it's, very, it's very important to be ministering to the felt needs of the people. And so you, you, you've got your children's activities um you've also got we've got work like christians against poverty and we have a listening ear service which is basically for the community that they can come in and receive it's a pastoral counseling and we, we we offer prayer as well um and so you you have these sort of bridges or stepping stones with the community and i think that I think I think that how people end up on Alpha is probably friendship, um, people inviting their friends. But if people have heard about the church and the church is involved in the community, it does. It's not such a big thing for them to come along. So, so I mean that that's that's basically the. the I don't know if that answers the question, Andy. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it does. Can, can I wind back and ask you a question about something you mentioned in one of your earlier answers? You, you talked about evangelism not being just for, I guess, professionals, just for people who are qualified in it or trained in it or ordained into it. Uh, you talked about equipping ordinary church members like me to share the gospel. How have you gone about that and, and not made evangelism just something that you do, but encouraged and equipped and prepared ordinary folks to do as well? How have you gone about that in your ministry? Well, I think it all just comes back to relationship and, uh, you know, Jesus and the woman at the well, the, the way that they had that conversation, um, just encouraging people to, to how, would you, how would you talk to your friend? And, and it's always a conversation where there's, there's questions and toing and froing back. And, and it's, not, it's not having your, your, your prepared answers that you have to actually deliver and realizing that's a conversation and it's it's a long-term commitment. I mean, any any idea that, you, that, that in evangelism, we're just saying, okay, we're going to spend some time with people in order that they become Christians. Um, it's uh, if you love people, you will, you will continue to be in contact with them. I mean, I'm, I'm in contact with someone just now that, that I met with last, uh, last week and was asking me questions about the book of Job and the character of God. This person has hardly hardly ever come to church. He had a season where he was coming quite quite consistently, but it was only really a six-month period. I've been in touch with him for about three or four years. And, and I thought he was a Christian, and maybe he is, I don't know. But basically, I'm discipling him, and he's now wanting to, to understand questions that many Christians don't ask. And so we're going through, you know, what are the scriptures and what is the character of God and evil and suffering and all of that. But it's very much from a what, what does the Bible say? Because he's now been meeting with someone studying the Bible for three, four years. Mm-hmm. And, and that relationship between when does discipleship begin? Um, and, and with some people, you know, that, that you're actually just introducing them to more and more of Christ and say, well, would you like to learn how to pray? Would you like to discuss how we should live our lives? And yet they may or may not be born again. But these, these uh, at some point, the, the questions on Alpha run out, you know, and you've got to, to move on to other stuff. I'm very interested at the moment, we're going through the Apostles' Creed as an evening teaching series, but it's also there's people coming there that are not yet saved. And the Apostles' Creed was used by the early church over a three-year period of catechesis. So it took them three years to go through that as a discipleship course. And I think for some people that have come to faith in our church, it's actually been three years after they've done Alpha. And, and I, I, that's profoundly changing the way I think about evangelism um, because, we, you know, we get, we get one or two people that, for example, at the beginning of lockdown when we were preaching very directly on the fragility of life and mortality and eternity. There was a few people that phoned phoned me and contacted me and said they wanted to recommit their lives to Christ, even though they hadn't been attending church for many years. But that that is not a common experience for me. The common experience for me is is people making showing an interest, feeling loved, welcomed, and accepted, even though they still have doubts. And then you continue to 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 walk with them. And it, it, it means that I have to, I involve other people, obviously. 
and and every every term I'm I'm trying to introduce another uh, yeah. person in our church and saying come along experience this and then they get a, a real excitement and say you know this is actually not this is something I can do this is not just something the pastor yeah. does. Well, on that very note, that's a good sort of transition into the into the next question I wanted to ask. You know, you've talked a lot about what what you've done, how God has kind of led you in this, what the church has been doing um but obviously the other side of that is how you then encourage and equip uh, those who are in the church to kind of pick up and run with this too because obviously in churches we don't just want the pastor to be doing the evangelism we want those in the pews who are followers of christ to go yeah i can do this too i can get a get my my uh my hands onto this how have you found some of the ways that have been effective you know in the churches that you've led to really get the congregation excited and empowered for evangelism we described there sort of introducing them to what you're doing are there other ways that you found uh, work really well? Yeah, so I would say that the the vision of the church has got to be whole life whole life discipleship and and that where people spend most of their time is is the arena in which they're to live for Christ but also to be a witness for Christ and, and somehow to bring into the teaching every week. I, I won't, won't say that we do that but in, in reality but as an aim that you're you're actually trying to it's almost like a half-time team talk. You know, people come to church on a Sunday and then they go out for the next uh, part of the adventure and that they're receiving some equipping to be able to speak to the friends. And that might be just just picking up on, on evangelistic sort of type stuff. So, for example, the book of Daniel, you know, when he gets the, the really tough question from, from Nebuchadnezzar, he goes back, he prays with his three friends and then you, you you ask people, you know, are you praying with people about your boss? <laughs> are you are you actually, you know, are people praying for you as you go into that workplace every day? And um, so you've got that that regular teaching, but also the conversational, occasionally sort of bring in a bit of story and get people to share. You know, in our evening service at the moment, I've got people sharing, and we had a, you know, someone who who was just. You know, he's a postman and he, he, he talks about how he meets people as he goes from door to door and he gets lots of opportunities to talk to people. And, you know, just encouraging people to, to share, you know, where, where they have their opportunities. We'd like, we'd like to do more of that. I would say that, that, that we need to do more of that as a church. But I was getting people to share their stories and what has gone well. And that's obviously in, in small groups. It's an ideal place for that to happen. The other thing that we do is um, when I'm leading an alpha course, I always try and bring a new leader in on every single course. And they're, they're normally someone who hasn't done it before. And then they, they, they end up leading the group. And then they, they get experience of the stuff that, that I find second nature almost. That they, they, they then say, well, this is, this is something that I can do. And then they can go on and, and lead a follow-up group or maybe even do their own alpha. Because one of the best phone calls I ever received was the people phoned me and they said, we've got this alpha day away and, and we don't want you to come. And I was a bit kind of miffed because I, I obviously wanted to come and I really enjoy being there. And I said, why is that? And they said, because we want to lead them to faith. We want to do the prayer. And, and I said, okay, go for it. And they, they ran the, the whole Saturday. And I think, I think, um, that's the challenge for me is, is to be able to, to just say, you know, you run with it, you do it. 
and and I think that's that that's an ideal model which we see in the in the gospels where Jesus sends them out, doesn't he? And they learn through their mistakes and they come back and they get a bit more teaching and then they do it again. That's fantastic. Last question then, I think. Um, you've been doing this for decades. What is it about the gospel of Christ that keeps you excited and keeps you motivated to you know, work with people for three years and, and do it year in, year out? What, what is it that keeps you fired up in evangelism? Well, if you'd, asked me, if you'd asked me that question many years ago, I would have probably said the reality of eternity mm. and that, that we, we're only here for a short time. And then we know that there's this, uh, this, this time. We know that not everyone will come into a living relationship with Jesus, but we know the stakes are really high. And so, so, so it's a concern for, for people in a, in a lost eternity sure. would be the number one reason. And, and, but the second reason is just, a, it's just an overflow. It's an overflow of, because you want to share it, just, just, it just flows out from your life. And I just, I think a, a life or a, or a church that's not outflowing is something wrong, and and I don't I don't actually think about what what why would I want to do it? It's actually just something that that, that is natural, and I think that's the case for for most Christians, um, that they maybe they have a confidence problem, but but and, and and all of us you know have 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 a journey on that, don't we? But, but but I think that the reality is is that we, we desperately have something incredibly valuable to share and and we'd want we'd want people to experience what we want I had a an experience just a really difficult experience uh, two weeks ago where I took the funeral of uh, my best man uh, rather I was um, I was his best man and his wife uh, passed away at age of 49. And I went to that funeral, and there was basically, I think almost everybody there was non-Christian. And it was a walled funeral. In the cemetery was it had this wall around it, and people were still attending outside the wall, socially distanced. Mm-hmm. And that morning when I prayed for guidance, I felt that God was saying to me, you know, remember the people outside the wall? And it was almost like a, a powerful word to me that Jesus said, you know, there are people outside of this sheepfold that still have to come in. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus himself died outside the walls of Jerusalem. And so in evangelism, we need to, as Hebrews says, we need to be prepared to go outside the camp and to bear the disgrace or bear the shame of being a follower of Jesus. And, and when, you, when you're actually taking the funeral of one of your closest friend's wife, you know, talk about fear of getting the words wrong, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of the relationship um, being hurt. But thankfully, they, they, they all said that it had been a really beautiful funeral and it had been really comforting. And I think when you love someone, you, you, you take the time to get the words right, even though, you know, so, so I think that's that's just, an, just one example of just how it just flows out of your, your, your friendship and your relationships. Alistair, we're really uh, grateful that you've taken the time uh, to chat with us today. This has been so helpful, so much stuff in there, I think both in terms of you know advice that those who are church leaders can take away, but also just people who've got a real passion to reach their friends and their neighbours. And that story at the end, very powerful too. So thank you so much. It's been great to have you on the show today. 
and uh, blessings on what you're doing up there in Inverness. Yes, indeed. Thank you, and it's great to hear all the stuff that Solas is doing, and I'm learning so much from you. Keep up the good work. Oh, that's very kind of you. Well, thank you too to everyone uh, listening at uh, home, and I hope you can join us and for the next episode of uh, Pep Talk in two weeks' time. Have a great day. Bye.